1: I hope you brought an apple for the teacher, because it's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your
2: hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton.
3: Welcome students to another edition of the Star Seminar. This is an upper division class, and I just want to know for those of you uh, students who have joined late in the semester, It's important that you've taken the following FTB, that's footballology, prerequisites before you join our class. So if you are going to join the class, my co-professor here, Danny Phantom, and I don't mind if you join the class, but it's important that you've taken Football 101, which of course is the history of NFL uniforms since the merger, Football 105. Uh, which is a very very important course entitled but the Eagles suck and they suck horrible disgusting things it's also cross-listed as history 114 and then there's one uh, upper division seminar that you have to have taken preferably football 201 which is Des It: the Cowboys post Parcells playoff history if you've taken these classes you are welcome to join us mid-semester Danny how are you today sir hi uh I'm doing okay I uh
4: it's, you know, it's fascinating to, you know, you just can't come into this class with without without knowing that stuff. So I'm, I'm you know, absolutely well done there with the prereqs, Rabs. Uh, so uh, I, Rabs, i tell you, I, I don't know how I'm doing. Um, I, and I really w- looking forward to this day. So you can kind of help me tell me how I'm doing. And I, after uh, what happened uh, on Sunday, I, I Have some feelings, and I really, I don't like to uh, to say things and to to act on those feelings. I, I really like to kind of take a step back and and think things through and, and ask myself what what what's really going on here. And, and so I was kind of hoping that before we get into our Vikings preview, that maybe if we could take a little time and have a little bit of a, like a study group session here together and you can kind of help me help me through this um so i mean i don't know first off i just want to ask you like how how are you doing after this this game
3: well i think i think i might be in the same place you are so i'm really glad that you want to have a little uh as you call it a study group you know um, as you know i went to lambo and uh, i was able to, to to watch the game and be there in the frozen tundra of lambo field and um before we get into some of the things you're feeling, I will say that from, from my point of view, I actually don't think it was a particularly good game. I mean, it was a close game. It was an overtime game. But, you know, before before I went to Lambeau, you and I talked about some of the other games that I had had the, the, uh, the privilege uh, and the pleasure to have seen in the past, the games that were really great back-and-forth contests uh, we mentioned a couple. One was the Cowboys at Steelers in 2016. Another one was the uh, Cowboys at Patriots last year. And one, the, I think, th- what characterized both of those games was that there was a real sort of back and forth. The lead changed hands, and I really felt like when teams did well, they oftentimes made a great play to do well. Um, you know, the, the the Steelers would make a, a a great catch or like it would be a great play call that would get them in the lead, and the Cowboys would come back with a great throw by by Dak or or something like that. This game, I really felt like. A lot of the times, teams succeeded. It was not because they did something great, but because the other team failed. And so, um, you know, I left the I left the game with a great sense of disappointment, not only at the outcome, and not only because I think I think that I'm feeling some of the same things you're feeling in terms of oh no, is this a trend or am I overreacting? But also because. It was just kind of a weird, sloppy, not particularly well played game that didn't have that kind of back and forth where teams were saying, "Oh yeah, hold my beer, watch this." So much as like, "Let me try this." Oh, you fell down, great, you know. And so, um, I think those all, those things all compounded for me to make it a, a bit of a confusing experience. So let's—I let's, tell you what—let's get into this. Um, if you don't mind, let me start with some one of the things I, I'm I'm feeling a little bit, which is. I kind of want to talk about Micah Parsons. So I've got a couple things that are are kind of, you know, burbling around here in my barely conscious mind, one of which is he hasn't been dominant in the last month or so, right? And so there's a couple things that I've been thinking about along those lines, one of which is, if you remember, he got hurt against the Rams. He, like, hurt his groin slash hamstring something that's not completely clear uh, clear but he hurt something uh he, he he went back in the game and came up with a tremendous play at the end of the game to kind of seal the game and and you know it was sort of playing with a leg and a half but but managed to still dominate and really change the tenor of that game he hasn't done that since right and so when he doesn't do that It feels to me, or at least, okay, so we're talking about what are you feeling? And this is what I'm feeling. What I'm feeling is that when Micah Parsons doesn't dominate, the defense isn't as effective. And so what I begin to wonder is, is this just a collection of guys who are average to decent, who suddenly look a lot better than they actually are when Micah Parsons is being the transcendent Hall of Fame player that he can be? And what happens to this defense if Micah Parsons either is dinged and therefore he can't be as explosive or as game-changing as he can be, or even scarier in some ways, if rival offensive coordinators have found ways to scheme him in such a way so he doesn't have the same impact.
4: Yeah. I think there there are a lot of key things here. And, And I think the injury thing, I... Look at that! And to me, because of watching him run down the, the Lions' tight end and watching him chase after Justin Fields, I'm not really worried about the the injury of Parsons. I to me, I felt like how he was used uh, is really what kind of made basically. For, I mean, for all intents and purposes, just took him out of the game. This is, this is he was basically invisible in this in this last game, and to me, I. I saw a lot of processing problems, and this is some of the, uh, you know, I, I try to forget this because I just I want I want people to forget this, but I was not happy with the Micah Parsons pick, and one of the reasons for that is because as an off-ball linebacker, he does the if there was knocks on him, it was how he 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 processed things and made him a little bit tad bit getting to where he needed to be, and you saw a lot of that happening against Green Bay. I think Green Bay did a fantastic job of. Trying a whole lot of different things and and trying to just slow him down just get in his way make him You know think going this way before going that way and I think they did a fantastic job But but to this to this point is I think if we have to use Micah Parsons as an off-ball linebacker then we don't have the Micah Parsons weapon that That we had had and I to me he belongs on the edge and that's where he does his best work Uh, I I feel like they they try to take advantage of his skill set, and for sure he has those skills. But I think, to me, it was a, really it was kind of a misuse of Parsons. Um, that's that's how I see it. But the bigger question is, how are the Cowboys going to figure out how to stop you know teams from running on them? Because, and as you mentioned before, they're they're really vulnerable through that C gap. You know, they 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 able to go to the edge and the Cowboys are just they're arriving late they're getting washed out and and we're seeing it more and more so to me it's very worrisome to to you know the, the problems of the past are back i mean they're here and and mm-hmm. it you know it's makes me really uneasy and i don't know rabs do you think the Cowboys got a a real problem with their ability to and stop the run even when mike is great that's still a problem the cowboys have have an issue stopping the run so is is this a a real a real issue for this team
3: well i think that's really the burning question for the rest of the year right because um there there's enough evidence now that it's not just a blip on the radar, it's a trend. And that's one of the things we always have to figure out is is something something that was not positive. Is it a blip or is it a trend? And I think if it just happens once, then, then we can say, you know, this happens in this league, right? Sometimes you just get surprised by something an opponent does and, and they're successful over and over and you're not ready to stop at that particular week or there's a bad matchup or something like that. But as to go back to the same history that I was just talking about, you know, the Eagles did have that, that drive where the Cowboys simply couldn't stop them. And then as you just were talking about, they they uh you know they've shown themselves to be increasingly vulnerable to runs on the perimeter. And Green Bay did have some nice runs up the middle, but man, again and again and again, they had pitch plays. Where they where they got the ball to the perimeter and they and they kept running it and here's the other thing that's unsettling about that we actually talked to our friend Justin, Justin Mosqueda from um, from Acme Packing Company about this and the question at the time was. If the Cowboys get up by a couple scores, does Aaron Rodgers have the patience to continue to try to run the ball? Because we saw the Chicago do that. We saw Chicago, even when they were down 20, continued to run the ball. Well, Chicago doesn't have the same quarterback, and Chicago doesn't give their quarterback the same kind of leeway, play-to-play that obviously Green Bay gives to Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers has earned. And the thing about this game, they were down Two scores in the fourth quarter. I thought, okay, here's the game script that we've been waiting for all game. We finally got to that game script. And what do you do? He continued to pitch the ball outside and they continue to run the ball on first and second down and get big gains and, and stay out of third down situations in which he was vulnerable. And they could, they were subject to the one thing that the Cowboys do better than just about any team in the league, which is to rush the passer in obvious passing situations. So, Let's, let's let's look back at the history then. If, if you're not buying Micah Parsons injury against the Rams, I think the evidence that you just supplied, which is, you know, the way he ran down um, the tight end against the, the, the Lions and the way he ran down Justin Fields against the Bears and even some of the sideline to sideline plays he made uh, last weekend, suggests that he, he is at roughly at full speed if he's not at 100% full speed although i think we also need to have a conversation maybe not during this particular talk but we need to have a conversation at some point about his shoulder injury and to what degrees to what degree has that limited him both as a pass rusher but also as a run defender who can like engage does he has he lost power um engaging with tackles and tight ends on on the edge but the, the thing i wanted to also talk about was we can and whether this is actually the case or not i don't know it remains to be seen but we can also trace out the, the, the sort of um, drop-off in the Cowboys' run defense to Anthony Barr's injury, because Anthony Barr obviously uh, was being paired with, with, with uh, Leighton Van Esch. I don't think anybody is under the illusion that he was playing terrifically well. But he was playing a lot of snaps and he was doing a serviceable job as the other kind of linebacker in their nickel sets, which allowed Micah Parsons to free to sort of roam around and play a lot of, play a lot of edge, play a lot of defensive line. When he went down, they were faced with a couple options. Either Micah Parsons starts to play more off ball linebacker, and you just talked about how when he does that, he's not nearly as good, or they put someone like Damone Clark in. And obviously against the Bears, they put Damone Clark in. He played 30 plus snaps. Maybe even more, and um, he was fine. But given how many snaps he had against Green Bay, it's very clear that's not what they want from Demon Clark. So um, Anthony Barr being out also, I think, is contributing to the the fact that um, they're not as effective, and Micah Parsons isn't effective. But but the reality is, since the end of the game against. The, uh, the, the, uh, the Chargers, I'm sorry, the Rams, <laughs> uh, since the end of the game against the Rams, other than that one transcendent play where he chased down the Lions' tight end, has he really been a game wrecker? And if he's not a game wrecker, then who is? So let's just imagine I'm an offensive coordinator for the Vikings, right? That's our upcoming opponent. If he's playing linebacker, I'm happy. If he's playing, if he's playing defensive end, I'm going to run at him. and i'm going to challenge him to 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 affect affect the run and and to stop the run because if he can't then i've negated him on multiple levels right i've negated his pursuit i've negated uh the, his opportunities to be in obvious passing situations and to change the game by getting to my quarterback by by creating turnovers etc um i've done a, i've done a lot to, to to kind of eliminate him from 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 the game in terms of the guy who can who can wreck the game or change the game, and then and then what I can do is throw away from Trevon Diggs. And what do the Cowboys have? The Cowboys have a good run-stuffing end on the other side who can occasionally uh, you know pr- provide a good pass rush. The Cowboys have a rookie defensive end in Sam Williams who, every once in a while, like once maybe twice a game, will put it all together and and get a sack. But I think the other guys are starting to get exposed a little bit, Dan. If Micah can't be transcendent who are the other dudes who are making plays? I'm not seeing a lot of guys make plays. I think
4: it's hard to 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 say that right now. I think that the cowboys you know they we know that they're they're a great team uh rushing the quarterback, but when they're not in those situations, then they look very very blah and I think the Cowboys need to figure out an arrangement that is going to be a little that prioritizes um, stopping the run a little more. Whether that's going to be Dorrance and and Tank on the edges and and, when, and not not see you know players like Fowler and and Sam Williams in as much until they earn that privilege mm-hmm. to rush the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I think they what one thing that I've I've been. When I've looked at this Cowboys and this, this Cowboys defense, and they've been fantastic over this season, but when they have gotten burned, you know, you look at the teams that did, you know, come up with some plays on us earlier in the season, it's because of the Cowboys' lack of discipline and their over over aggressiveness at times. And I think that teams are using that against us, and mm-hmm. 100%. they're finding ways to get us basically not in the right position to to make plays and. And to give their backs a, a, a running head start, so they can get these seven seven yard gains. I mean, you you posted that that um, those drive logs that Green Bay had, and it's just crazy to look at when you look at their third down and shorts that they had all the time. And to me, I feel like the Cowboys need to kind of figure out, well, okay, who are our run stopping guys, and they need to prioritize that. And you know, of course, they traded for. Jonathan Hankins, which I think is is is, very, is helpful, but I think that we gotta maybe it's tell ourselves before we can be, you know, our, that pin our ears back, go get them defense. We need to first be that. Let's stop these guys from running and get in that situation. So I don't know. Maybe there's a little bit of a kind of a re- reality check for us to, for for Dan Quinn to look at this and figure okay what what do we need to do to to make sure that we have the right resources in you know to, to stop the running game because i don't know i feel like they're i think that they're, they're too they seem to in, intent on making that tackle for a loss or making you know having that big defensive play that they're not doing the basic things they need to do to you know on first down you know to to stop the run so I don't know. I I don't think that it's a talent issue. As it's more of kind of learning to who who are we and you know mm-hmm. what we need to be and and I think that we've just kind of allowed ourselves to just not be good at running, stopping the run because of what we can do in other areas of the game. Um, so that's that's my thought on that. But I I do have another concern, Rabs, that I wanted before we switch over to the other side of the ball I wanted to ask you about and I remember when we before the season started we ranked our our um, you know what are we worried about position group stuff and and one of the position groups that we had quite differently was um, the cornerback position group and obviously the first part of the year we're we're healthy and I did not give those guys enough credit because they're 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 great I mean those guys you know, the three, the main starters, they they do a, a really good job um, doing what they're supposed to do, but it gets a little bit dicey with the depth, and now we're seeing a little bit of that. So, Mike, one of the questions I had for you, especially as we head into a, a team that has both a good running back and a great wide receiver, um, how worried are you about the Cowboys cornerback position group?
3: That's a great question. I- um, so let's actually take a step back as a way to answer that and look at the Green Bay game. So you mentioned a minute ago about the sort of third down split. So the Cowboys faced uh, 12 third downs against the Packers, and only four of those were for were for um, less than four yards, or for for four or more yards rather. So in those four, in the first half, there was a third and five. The Cow, uh, the, the Packers tried to pass the ball, and it was incomplete. And the, the Cowboys turned them over and forced a punt. In the second half, there were three of them. There was uh, the first one. It was a third and four. Uh, Packers, again, passed, incomplete. Cowboys forced a punt. And then, again, it was a pass and a sack. And that was the Sam Williams sack and obviously forced a punt. And then there was a third and seven. Again, a pass and incomplete. Unfortunately, the Packers go for it on fourth down and get, the, get a touchdown. But for the most part, on all those third downs, whenever they got them in even something that could be remotely considered a passing situation, the Cowboys absolutely shut them down. Where the Packers made hay was not in passing situations where the, in, in terms of the pass. Where the Packers made hay was in obvious running situations in which the entire Cowboys defense was, um, overcompens- I would say, overcompensating against the run. And the cornerbacks let guys get behind them. So the big plays, third and one, that, that, the first long pass to Christian Watson, third and one, um, play action. Aaron Rodgers with the flick of the wrist was a 58-yarder touchdown. Uh, obviously then uh, later on fourth and seven, they do get the pass and touchdown. But then, of course, later on in the second half, uh, there's a 36-yard pass, first down on a third and one. This is all a long way of saying, if they can't stop the run they're going to start overcompensating against the run and that's going to expose their cornerbacks i'm not worried about their cornerbacks if they can if they can do what you're saying which is to find some way to stop the run if they can get opposing offenses into undesirable down and distance situations their corners will be fine but i think that something's happening psychologically this defense which is they can't stop the run they're going to start they're going to start doing things to try to play hero ball against the run. The corners know that teams are making hay on the edges. So they're playing up tight and worried about the run. And I think that the things that happens is then um, if you're, if it's third and short and you're worried about a run coming to your side, you're going to want to play tight and you're going to want to, you're going to want to when you think about contact in the first five yards, you're thinking about getting off a block rather than bumping a guy off his route. Right, and which which allows the guy to then bump off his route and, and and get a step on you. And if it's a fast guy like Watson, if he's got a step on you, he's got a good chance. Uh, the, you know, on the plays where the, the the Packers scored, there was good coverage. I I, I feel I feel like Duron Bland. You know, he got beat once or he got beat once in the end zone. But for the most part, he acquitted himself well. I thought Calvin Joseph actually acquitted himself pretty well. He didn't, you know, he wasn't egregiously bad. Um, I think they're going to be fine in that regard. But I will say this. I think anybody who understands analytics, who understands football, knows that passing both on the offensive and the defensive side is way, way more impactful and more important than running. Right. There's no dispute about that. At the same time, there is a sort of line, there's a sort of envelope beyond which if you're giving up a certain amount of uh like sort of average per rush in the running game, that whole thing I just talked about goes out the window because. You're running well enough to not to have to pass, right? You're running well enough to to never expose your quarterback to uh, those kind of high pressure passing situations, and that's what every defense wants to to, to do is to get those quarterbacks in those situations because that's when quarterbacks fail. Even even the worst quarterback in the NFL can succeed regularly if he's, if he's got a consistently great running game or his running game can play against a defense that can't stop the run and all he's asked to do is just, you know, I mean, sometimes even on third down he'll have to complete a pass, but it's never like a pass on third and 11 where you have to, you know, hold on the ball long enough for guys to get past the linebacker or something like that. It's, it's always like, you know, you can do a little, little outlet pass to the running back. You can do a little short pass on a crosser after guys clear out. All those sort of easy short passes that any quarterback in the NFL can complete if the cowboys can't stop the run they're going to make average quarterbacks look great and they're going to then they're going to make great quarterbacks look or very good quarterbacks look like hall of famers because they're never going to be under duress and it's only when quarterbacks are under duress that they make mistakes and so, so this this is the thing that I'm feeling. So th- you talked about feelings earlier, Dan. The thing I'm feeling is, oh my gosh, are we back? And I know I know this is an overstatement, but this is what, how the feelings work, right? And this is what we have. To, this is what we're combating against. This is the whole point of the Star Seminar is to combat against f- analysis by feelings. But I will say that one of the, the sort of creeping things that continues to gnaw at me is. Are we going to see something that's sort of like 2020, the first half of 2020, where they're so bad at stopping the run that it really doesn't matter whether they're good or against the pass or not? And in the last couple games, they they they're not there, but they're not far from it. Yeah, and
4: and that is scary to think about too. Is I mean, clearly we have better talent and better coaching than the unit that was on the field back in in 2020. But I understand what you're saying and. I tell you what this and we've seen our seasons in too many times you know like it with against the rams with cj anderson and then of course last season against the 49ers and you know you mm-hmm. you get that hopeless feeling that this team this team can't get off the field and if mm-hmm. you can't get off the field you know you're really minimizing your opportunities on the other side of the ball To, and it just it that this is this is what could take us out of this is what could end our season and it's still there. It's, it's really upsetting that it's still there and you know, it's, it's scary and I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm really hoping, I mean, it's still, it's, we got half a season still and I'm interested to see how Dan Quinn adjusts and what kind of team we, we look like, you know, in this in the second half, but you know, perhaps all of our problems aren't on the defensive side of the ball. So, Let's uh let's flip it over a little bit and let's let's talk about our feelings about what we're seeing on offense because I mean the Cowboys score 28 points you're that's good your quarterback throws three touchdowns that's good you know you're 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 gonna win most of those games um but I it, I feel like the Cowboys squandered opportunities like they did not do enough with when they had the ball and and this was a chance to really bury Green Bay and uh and the Cowboys weren't able to do that and I think you you can't you know let the offense off the hook and you can't let Dak Prescott off the hook. So let's let's dive into what's going on. I mean, mm-hmm. my first question for you is what's our problem on offense? I mean, who 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 deserves the blame? Why are we not able to take advantage of these opportunities?
3: Uh I think so you were talking earlier about, you know, um, the fact that it's a long season and the fact that patterns emerge and the fact that we're starting to have this feeling that it could it be like a, you know, previous thing we felt and experienced. And on the offensive side of the ball, when I was watching that game, I, one, the thing that kept coming up to me was, De- first of all, Dex started off. He actually had some great, great moments in the middle of the game and particularly in the third quarter, but he started off just really being off his game and um and the and then by extension even when they scored the 14 points they did before the first in in the first half before the before the halftime it came it was so hard. It didn't come easy. There, I, there was not a play that came easy. Maybe one pass to C.D. Lamb and it came easy. But I mean, it was hard slogging. I just like watching it. It was. It was. They, they had to continue to execute these long drives. There were never any big plays or almost no explosives. And it was. It was so it was so difficult. And there was no room in that equation for holding penalties or any of the other kind of things that, that, that mercifully didn't happen then, but happened later in the game. And and I'll I'll be honest with you, you know, we, when we think about the way that a, a team's identity emerges over the course of a season, I I have been thinking for for most of, most of the early season, a couple things. One, this defense is awesome. When Dak gets back and they get in a rhythm, and Michael Gallup starts to emerge, the offense is going to be like the offense was last year, and this team is going to be incredible, right? So that that was one thing I was thinking. The other was. This is a young team. They've had three really good drafts in a row. They're very talented. There's a bunch of guys on both sides of the ball who are on the come. Uh, young teams get better, much more significantly better over the course of the year than older teams do because there's more room to grow. And they also tend not to get as injured, and they tend to come back from injury faster. So they tend to be at greater health, and they just tend to be a, a closer to 100% uh, later in the year. I was thinking that this team was going to get better year, as, as the year wore on. And that may still be the case, but i tell you what, my feeling uh, in watching on Sunday was that it started to feel a little bit like 2019 when the Cowboys... Started off really well, and then started to play some better teams in the middle of the season, and just had game after game after game where they couldn't quite get it done. Where it was either the offense that wasn't in sync, or the defense giving up a bunch of rushing yards to the Vikings that were playing next. Remember, remember that Vikings game in 2019, right? They just they couldn't get the field against them, man, and um, they they looked they looked poor against a lot a, a lot of teams the second half of that year and then in 2021 last year i mean the offense was gangbusters up until the new england game and then they started to fall off and when they fell off in both of those seasons there wasn't like one thing that happened 2020 very clear what happened dak got injured whole thing went off the rails and they actually did a great job of coming back 2019 2021 it was it was a multifactorial problem and so when you ask what's wrong my fear and this is of course my feelings that are driven by history and, and you know connect to history and therefore um, are exacerbated is that there's a multifactorial problem that can 't be solved, and the offense is going to be an offense that Is going to continue to struggle that maybe the offense we saw in the end of 2021 is it's the real Cowboys offense, not the offense that exploded for, you know, half a hundred against Chicago and that they're going to have troubles. They're always going to have trouble scoring. Even when they start score 28, it's not going to come easy. Those explosives that I've been saying all season are the keys to offensive success. That's why I didn't ever think they'd win when, when Cooper rushes the quarterback. Um, those explosives aren't, aren't going to come easily or they're going to come few and far between. And if, if on defense, they're not able to stop the run and that's going to make them vulnerable to big plays in the past. I mean, we can see where this is going. Right. And so this is what I'm, this is what concerns me. And they, is that they have some better teams coming up and, and the next two weeks, dude, the next two weeks are going to be huge. They're playing teams that, that, the way they're playing now provide matchup challenges. The Giants are getting better. The Giants have a great running back. The Giants have a, a diversified offense. The Vikings have a diversified offense with a great running back and and good receivers. This is this is uh gonna I I mean. It's either going to be a, th- a thing where the Cowboys needed to win two of these three games in this twelve-day stretch, and they happen to they happen to take the mulligan the first one, and they come back and beat the b- Vikings and the Giants, who are probably both playoff teams, and they prove their they prove their worth, and they um you know they, they they're eight and three with wins over 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 you know teams that that are also playoff caliber teams, and we're like okay okay I know who this team is, or they don't solve this problem. The offense continues to be a kind of like hot and cold offense that never that never really quite, you know, like they 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 have some good plays, but they they can't string them together. There's not enough explosives. Dak is always off a little bit or he's hot and cold. The defense continues to kind of really struggle struggle and never find, you know, never really nails down this problem against the run and they continue to lose games against good teams. I mean this this is I I, I can see them being eight and three. But I can also see them being six and five after the next 10 days. And that's terrifying, dude, because there's there's enough of a trend that I'm concerned that it's that the Green Bay game is not just a blip. You happen to go into Lambeau and you lost to one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. It happens all the time, right? Uh, we can excuse this or, th- listen, if they beat the Vikings and Giants, this is not going to matter. Right, it's going to be those things where you lost Aaron Rodgers. There's, 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 you know, no loss of honor, and that happens to every, happens to the very best teams all the time. But what if it's a trend? Yeah
4: i I have a,
3: a different concern, or
4: I mean, I don't. I'm not going to say as much as worried about it being a trend as much as it. So, I, I, you know, I just want to cut to the chase here. I, I want to, I want to ask you another question. This is. Question. I mean, I'm, I'm not thrilled about asking because I don't want people to get the wrong idea and uh, you know I, I'll start off with a disclaimer about how much I I Admire the play of Dak Prescott and think he's a, is a great quarterback But when we talk about the consistency and what we're seeing, you know, you even mentioned now so they were either hot or cold my concern is I feel that Prescott is not at a place where he can be a difference maker and help us get be the quarterback that he needs to be in, in the postseason. And that I mean, I think that to get there, you got to you got to have that quarterback that is able to just be a step above. And if if you look at the games we've lost, we lost we lost Cooper Rush's bad game of the year, went through three picks, and we've had two decks, two. Poor games, you know, Tampa Bay. He was terrible. And then he, he was missing a lot this last week When we're we don't have the better quarterback we're we're not gonna win and I I feel like this Dak Prescott issue might be something and not to the sense of like We're gonna lose games this season, but to the point where we could win these next two but could this show up again in the postseason, where Prescott is just not able to deliver. Are are you worried about that at all, Rabs? Am I am I just being too hard on the the player that everybody is too hard on?
3: I think I don't think so. I think that people who are too hard on him are just sort of like out, out of hand are hard on him for reasons that transcend his play. First of all, um, I I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I have this I have similar concerns. I think my concerns run in a parallel track to yours. Mine have a little bit more to do with his injuries and his injury history and, and the and what that's done to his body and his and his ability. So I, you know, he hasn't been entirely the same player since he hurt got hurt against the Giants in 2020. He obviously had a really great run early last year. Uh, he got injured again this year. He, his body has been taking, I mean, even though he's a sturdy dude, you know, he's one of the sturdy, he's a 245-pound dude who's, who's a rock, but he takes a lot of punishment and his body has, you know, has not reacted well. And I wonder about the the, the way in which his game has been diminished by injury, both because He's not able to do the things physically he could do before because they're not willing to call the f- same range of plays that they used to call for him. I mean, his the threat of Dak as a runner seems to have been almost exclusively eliminated, and that was a pretty big threat earlier on. And there were times when, when he took the game and the team on his shoulders, he often did so as a runner, and he doesn't do that anymore as a runner. Like, I mean, if you remember that Seattle playoff game in, in uh, eighteen in that fourth quarter, Dak was awesome. He literally, I mean, people talk about he can't be a difference maker. He can't take the team and put on his shoulders. That is horse pucky. He did that in that game. And he did it though, several times by making huge plays with his legs. You know, he made some great throws, but he made some huge plays with his legs. And that if you eliminate that as, as, as an, you know, an option, you're helping the defense. I don't know, dude. I just I begin to wonder if he's just getting worn down a little bit. He's been he's been around for a long time. He's got a lot of wear and tear, a lot of plays, and um, so the other the other thing is this: it's the relationship between Dak and the Kellen Moore offense. You know, Kellen Moore's offense has been accused of, and I want to hear what you have to say about this. Uh, Kellen Moore's offense has been accused of of being. Uh, not a scheme, but a collection of plays. So what I mean by that is one of the things about the 49ers, I think we, we all envy is the way in which the Shanahan scheme and his Broncos, his dad's Broncos teams were just like this too. So obviously he inherited it from Papa, but where the, the run and the pass look the same from the defense's perspective like so whether it's a wide zone run or whether it's a it's a fake handoff and a a boot the other way like the action looks the same the line is doing the same thing it all looks the same so it's incredibly deceptive and therefore as a consequence it's a scheme like all these plays are built to look the same and they fool the defense that way whereas Kellen Moore's offense has a lot of like cool stuff. There's a lot of bells and whistles. So there's a lot of cool concepts, but there's not a sort of cohesive scheme where things are meant to look deceptive because they all look the same and you have bread and butter plays and you can't, and you execute them again and again, you can't really tell the difference between them from a defensive perspective. So for some reason on one level from, from a defensive perspective, you're all, you're always wrong. And I think about, you know, Dak's 2016 season when he was a rookie and, Obviously, the the Cowboys had an unbelievably good running game that year. They had they had a great offensive line. You know, Zeke was the best he's ever been, and it made it easier for him. But there was I just remember again and again how effective he was because the running game and the passing game looked very similar. There was a lot of boots, a lot of things like that, a, a, a lot of rollouts, a lot of movement um, that really, I think gave him a step up on the defense because the defense was taking a moment to process. And I wonder if Dak, the way he is as a passer, the way he reads coverages, the way he um, the way he and his wide receivers read coverages together, because it's clear from this game and from other games, they're not always on the same page. I mean, I, I think every interception he's had this year, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like almost every one was one where – it was a direct result of he and his wide receiver not being on the same page. We're re- they're reading a two deep zone, and they're reading where, like where the where the, the the you know the where C D Lamb should should sort of like go in terms of finding space between the two safeties or whatever, or the way that he should cut off his route to to cut in front of a safety and get his body between um, you know the, the safety and the quarterback or whatever the case may be. I, I feel like. I wonder about the fit. For Dak Prescott and the Kellen Moore offense. And I wonder if this offense is actually an offense that's built to mask his weaknesses and play to his strengths.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away.
2: Go to Sylvan 29com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only twenty nine dollars. That's s y l v 29.com
4: dot I, I try to give an honest assessment of, of Kellen Moore, and I like Kellen Moore as a play caller, and I think through his I do too his tenure, I look at it like this: Rabs, like if I'm if you're scoring like a boxing fight, and you're you're. Your score and all the hits and jabs and stuff, and and if you if you were to score Kellen Moore against these the the more experienced defensive coordinators that he's played with during his time, I th- you have to remember that the other side's going to win some too. But I think Kellen Moore is delivered more blows than the other side. And to me, I mean, if you look at what he has has accomplished with the offense, it's it's pretty good. I know. I know there's a lot of fancy stuff. Kellen Moore likes to put on his fancy pants and do some some of that cute stuff. No question about that. But I do think there is a scheme there. And I think if you look at, especially what they did with Cooper Rush at, at the helm, and you look at what they did with the, the three tight end sets and the things they're able to do, and you're not you're not sure what you're getting because of it'll be, they'll 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 run the ball at the same formation that they'll pass the ball. And I think I think there's a lot of things that he does really well. To me. I feel like it comes down to the Cowboys just being I hate to use the word like like chemistry because this group's been together it's not like there's a but I do feel like it, like there's a newness maybe it's because Amari's not the number 1 now or we have diff, we do have some different a lot we do have new players playing offense too but I I just feel like they're not comfortable with each other and to me it's it's an execution you know when the Cowboys are not doing something right on offense it's somebody's not executing or you have a holding penalty or you Dak's not seeing the field right or you have CD not running the right route or something of that nature i don't necessarily think like helens he's i think he's given them enough i i mean i'm, I'm pleased with with that part i think that he can he can play, call the plays well enough to to help the cowboys win a super bowl for to me it's about if they execute, yeah. Is Dak seeing the field mm-hmm. correctly? Is he comfortable? Is is something making him skittish? What's going on? What is he seeing that the is the defense doing something that's making him not feel comfortable about this and, and forcing it mm-hmm. this way, or, or something? To me, it really falls on on number four, and I, I I think, and I I do I I don't think I you're right about the wear on him, but you'll see you'll see times, and we've seen this as recent as the the Bears game Dak looks like Dak Dak looks fantastic Mm -hmm. I mean he he, I don't have any fear that we're not gonna that like Dak that Dak is gone because I don't I know I know that's not the case but I do have fear that that Dak can disappear and that we can get almost for the longest time in in the earlier part of Romo's career I always called him a Jekyll and Hyde quarterback and I love Tony Romo but I think he was a Jekyll and Hyde quarterback I think that he would be fantastic and then he, there would be times where it's like that's not good at all and i think he got there was less hide as he got older and of course the Cowboys mm-hmm. started giving him some help you know but uh, they were better yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but I, I see a little bit with, with dak too like he's sometimes he's just like what what are you what are you doing there or like you know or just st- hold, hold on to the ball why why can't you are you are those guys just not open can you is there can you not get through your progression faster to where you're like still not sure what to do with the ball and you're like holding next thing you know you got intentional grounding because you know you're in a in a bad position so i worry about that i i just feel like maybe that just there needs some more togetherness you know with with this group that they have because it is different and maybe that's i mean this look at cd he he had his best game of his career and and it was he had 15 targets for It's almost like, mm-hmm. like you know, what he's your guy. Let's let's just make this happen. And, and then we saw something good from that. And I and I just feel like the Cowboys kind of need to find it. They need to, to figure it out. And I'm just worried because if I were to to express my concerns with this 2022 Cowboys team, you know, it, it, it's simplified version for you know. But if I had only one statement to do, I would say that the Cowboys their biggest concern is the ability to process from their two biggest playmakers on you know, on each side of the ball. I think that that will be their, that will take them to greatness and that will be their downfall. And if if these guys are mm-hmm. not, are not able to process correctly, then I think we are in trouble.
3: You know, when you were, I think, I think that's a really interesting point when you were talking, it, it struck me that, um, one of the critiques of the Linehan offense, and this is when he was in Detroit, this is when he was in Minnesota before he ever got to Dallas, but then obviously we saw this in Dallas too, is that it was star-centered. So one of the things about Linehan is he relied on his stars to get open, to make plays, et cetera. And and his offense was designed to force feed his number one receiver and his number one running back the ball and and his quarterback had to make plays. And one of the things that people were saying when Kellen Moore took over is that that was going to be a sea change because Moore was about scheming guys open. Moore was about not relying on that clear cut number one. And this is, this was all part of the, you know, bye bye to Amari conversation is we don't need that elite guy because the offense is not designed to take advantage of that. And I, and I think that that's great in, in, in theory. And I think in some ways it's great from a roster building standpoint, because you don't need a, you know, 20, $20 million a year receiver. Theoretically, if you, if you can scheme guys open, Belichick did that for years. He got, I mean, he had Randy Moss for a while in 2007 and, and and a few years after that, but for the most part, he had very, very average receivers year on year year and year. And and he schemed them open a lot of times it was with illegal pick plays, but he schemed them open nonetheless. And so I, I think, from a sort of psychological roster building point of view, philosophical rather roster building point of view, that makes a lot of sense, but they're not it's not working, right and so you know I saw recently or heard recently in this last in this last week that the cowboys are are at the bottom or near the bottom of the league in terms of separation for their wide receivers. their wide receivers are not separating and getting open, so whatever this whatever route combinations um that kellen moore is calling his guys are not getting open and so i think i think this has to be connected to the hesitant Dak, to the Dak who's not decisive and i think you know Dak was sitting on the sidelines watching cooper rush and i think one of the things he, he he sort of you know has talked to talked to the press about was oh yeah I, it's such a simpler game i think one of the things is reminding me of how, is how simple the game is but I, I i get the sense that when he gets into the game he knows where he should go but his reads are not getting open, you know, or or he's not, they're not getting open in a way that he trusts them. And so we've seen really since the new England game last year, I I mean, I think there were, again, the Cowboys demise on offense last year was multifactorial, but one of the things we saw was a Dak who wasn't confident, who wasn't decisive. And I think we saw a lot of that. And, you know, again, we we've heard that he, uh, he, uh, you know slipping a lot in the first half i don't know if he changed his cleats out or whatever but he his footing really seemed to contribute a lot to his indecisiveness in the first half and the fact that both you know the cowboys went three and out or something close to three and out the first couple drives and then even when they did score later on the first half it would just uh, as i said before it felt like pulling teeth but you know, This goes to what you were saying earlier about like, if the Cowboys are going su- to be successful, their best players on both sides of the ball have to be decisive and f- doing what they do with immediacy because they're the ones who have the greatest opportunity to disrupt the other team. And if they're not, if they, they're basically giving the, other, the, the opposition um, opportunities to adjust or opportunities to get an advantage. right? Like the op- opposing offenses are going to get an advantage because Mike is going to hesitate. They're going to have a chance to adjust because Dak's going to hesitate, and so I think the way you put it is 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 really interesting. I think it's also important that we just say, listen, let's not overreact. I think there are some patterns that one can say are beginning to develop, but again, you know, the the NFL season's long there are many patterns that develop and go away over the course of a season, or there are many things that prove themselves not to be patterned. So I, I think the next couple of games are going to be really, really interesting because they both um, provide opponents who are going to test these patterns. Um, and uh, and can, and can take advantage of the things that the Cowboys haven't been doing well in, in recent weeks. So the Cowboys are going to, I mean, it's, we're going to, we're going to know, right. There's not going to be any doubt. Like in, in 10 days, the day, day after Thanksgiving, when when you and I sit down on Friday morning after the Thanksgiving game and, and record our next podcast, we're going to know a lot about, okay, is this a blip or is this a pattern that is growing into a defining characteristic of the season?
4: Yeah. And one thing that is a little worrisome too is these last three games have come against a team that has very unthreatening receiving groups. And I mean, if the Cowboys have trouble and they're giving up, you know, a large yards per play against those guys, then what are you going to do when you have a, all of a sudden have a, you know, a Justin Jefferson come in and, um, and then how are you going to defend that? And so that's, that's a little bit of a concern, but, in speaking of a concern, Rabs, what do you say we put a pin in this and move ahead to this week's game and uh, talk to our special guest? Uh, who, who do we have coming up next?
3: I'm glad you asked. We have Christopher Gates, who's the the head honcho uh, at the SB nation Viking site, our sister site. Um, uh the Daily Norseman and he's gonna tell us a little bit about what's been going on with the Vikings. They're um, you know, they have a, they have a new coach and some some new things they're doing after many years of uh Mike Zimmer's um run there. And uh give us some give us some good insider information on what's going on with this team as the Cowboys um face them in this all important road tilt.
4: For sure it is all important. All right. Let's let's get to
3: that. All right, students, get out your notebooks because we have a fantastic guest lecturer here. I am very (laughs) pleased to invite to our studio, to our seminar, the great professor Christopher Gates. Dr. Gates, a lead writer and managing editor over at our sister site, The Daily Norseman. (laughs) Dr. Gates, how are you today, sir?
1: Uh, Sean, Dan, I am doing all right. This is the uh, the first time anyone's recalled or referred to me as Doctor Anything. It's a little a uh, little weird, but that that's okay. It, it's your it's your show. You can if you want to call me Doctor? You can call me Doctor. Works all right, me. let's do. So let's let's jump right in.
3: Um, you know, you guys had uh one of Dallas's you know one of Dallas's favorite sons, Mike Zimmer, uh as your head coach for about eight seasons. Um, I don't know if you were aware of yeah. this, but Whenever he was on the hot seat, everybody in Dallas was talking about, oh, if if the Vikings let go of Zimmer, he can be our new defensive coordinator. Because, of course, they were looking (laughs) fondly back to the Parcells era, you know, when he Mm -hmm. was uh, when he was in charge of of the defense then. And they were actually pretty stout. Um, So, you know, we've we've, we've always sort of had a had a soft spot for him. Um, So they finally cut him loose, hired the Rams offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell, to be their next head coach. How have things changed? How has O'Connell changed things both, I think, you know, offensively, obviously he's an offensive dude, but also just from a team culture perspective, how are the Vikings different this year? I mean,
1: once, once the Zimmer firing happened, a lot of stories started coming out about his uh, relationships with certain players, uh, things of that nature. <laughs> Apparently him and Kirk Cousins never really got along. He never really wanted Cousins to be his quarterback and that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah. I don't think anybody believes that Mike Zimmer is a bad football coach per se, because I don't think he is. Um, but I think he just kind of reached the point that a lot of coaches reach during their tenures with the team. Uh, we kind of saw it with Denny Green back in the early 2000s and whatnot. And, you know, there's a, there comes a point in time with most coaches where they just sort of have run their course with their current employer and it's just time for a for a change. Uh, like I said, kind of like what happened with Denny Green. uh Mike Zimmer was with this team for eight seasons. He had a couple of really great years uh, with the Vikings, and then toward the end, uh, it kind of seemed like him and uh, general manager Rick Spielman kind of drifted apart on what they uh, wanted their philosophy for the team to be, and so it was time for a uh, change. And the uh, the Will family, the ownership, uh, went out and got a couple of young guys. They got the uh, young Kwesi Mensa from from uh, – from Cleveland to be the general manager, and he in turn went and hired uh, Kevin O'Connell, who is now the second youngest coach in the National Football League. And uh, they they brought a completely different kind of outlook and perspective. I think things are more optimistic uh, than they were toward the end of the Zimmer era. Uh, it has a it's been kind of reflected in the uh, on the field in a lot of the uh, personnel packages the Vikings have used, like in the last couple years under Zimmer. Uh, They used fewer wide receiver, three wide receiver sets than just about any team in the league. And now under Kevin O'Connell, that's basically like ninety percent of what they run is uh, is three wide receiver sets. So there's that offensive philosophy. Uh, Mike Zimmer was kind of devoted to the run game, no matter whether it was working or not. Uh, Kevin O'Connell seems more willing to uh, to open things up. But yeah, it's just a completely different vibe around this team now than it was the last couple years of the Zimmer era. And uh, like I said. It's not that Mike Zimmer is a bad football coach. It's just that there was it was time for the change to happen, and everyone kind of needed to move on.
4: So, Christopher, I don't know if you've heard, but the Cowboys' defense has what we call a run defense problem. (laughs) So, and when I think about uh, going to get up against uh, Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison, I start to feel a little uneasy. However, the Vikings' running game has been a little bit schizophrenic. uh, this season. You know, they had big games recently against Buffalo and Arizona, but then they'll they just went MIA uh at times like they did against uh Philly and, and then in Washington. So my question for you is uh what is up with the erratic running game and how scared should we be of the Vikings ground attack?
1: I mean a lot of it has to do I think uh the Vikings have been trying to figure out the offensive line for a long time. They have the tackle situation figured out with uh, Brian O'Neill and Christian Derisaw, uh on the on the bookends on the outside. But the interior line is still kind of an issue, and I think that when they match up with teams that are stronger on the defensive interior, like Washington, like Philadelphia, and so forth, uh, it gives them trouble when they try to, uh, to utilize the run game a little bit. Now, like I said, back in the Zimmer era, uh, games like that they were just kept trying to slam the run and slam the run regardless of whether it was working or not but uh with Kevin O'Connell uh he's more willing to be flexible try to adapt uh, adapt to different things and kind of take what's working but uh yeah the uh I, I don't know if the uh, the Cowboys should necessarily be super frightened because you guys have a pretty solid defensive front and uh even though you have been uh giving up some uh some big totals in the run game recently but, uh, yeah, if, if you guys can uh, can stop the run early and whatnot, I think it's going to, to be to your benefit, obviously, because it would make the Vikings a little more uh, one-dimensional. Uh, if the Vikings can get uh, Cook going early, he's the kind of running back they can ride for four quarters and shorten the game and keep Dak Prescott and company off the field. So, uh, it, it it all depends on kind of what happens in the early going and whether the, uh, the Vikings are going to be able to lean on him or not as far as uh, moving the football is concerned.
3: The last couple of weeks, you know, we've been talking a lot about the Cowboys needing to get into positive game scripts so that the other team is, basically has to abandon the, the run game, as you were just talking about. And in, uh, against both the Bears and then against the Packers, uh, even though the Cowboys got two-score leads, both teams kept running the ball. Uh, have you seen in the brief time that O'Connell's been the head coach or, you know, and been in charge of the sort of new three wide receiver, you know, not dominant, but, you know, sort of, uh, there's a more of a kind of you know leaning, leaning in that direction toward a little bit more wide open offense, um, you know, psychologically, is he the kind of guy who could, would stick with the run game if it isn't working, or if it is, if if they're behind, rather? Or uh, do you think that he is the kind of guy who might be inclined to abandon the running game? Because I think, frankly, if he does, that plays in the, the Cowboys' hands.
1: I don't know if he would necessarily abandon the running game per se. I mean, we saw an example of that uh, last week against Buffalo. I mean, toward the end of the third quarter, uh, the Bills kick a field goal to uh to go up 17 points, right? Uh, with two minutes left in the third quarter and uh you know you would think okay now the vikings got to open it up and air it out and whatnot and no their first play from scrimmage after that is a handoff to dalvin cook that goes for 81 yards and a touchdown and you know they had had they abandoned the run at that point i don't know if they get down the field or whatever but i i think he's he kevin o'connell wants to keep the offense pretty balanced he doesn't want to be too dominant on one side or the other as far as his play calling and his scripting and whatnot but uh yeah, I, I don't know if he would abandon the run game necessarily, but obviously when the situation calls for uh, things to be opened up a little bit more, he's more open to doing that than what we probably would have been in the past years. So you know, the Vikings have shown the ability to run the football. I mean, like you guys have already pointed out, there are times where it doesn't work as well uh, as it could. But uh, now I don't think he would abandon it completely unless you're down to like the the second half of the fourth quarter and you're down multiple scores and then running the football just doesn't make sense anymore. So other than that, I think he's going to try to keep things relatively balanced.
3: Well, that's not, what we wanted to hear at all, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> um, but listen, but listen, let's, uh, let's switch to the other side of the ball. If we could, um, you know, when I think about the Vikings, I think about a lot of different iterations of this team. That's had a kind of remarkable front four. You know, um you know, think about Vikings defense and I mean I can think of several different groups that are you know, really, really impressive groups, all the way going all the way back to the, you know, seventies and eighties. Um this year, however, they're it's not necessarily the thing that is their defining characteristic. They're near the bottom of the league in yardage surrender, but it's kind of middle in the pack in, in points allowed, which is an interesting discrepancy. So I have a couple of questions for you. Mm-hmm. First of all, how do you account for that discrepancy? Um, because of course, obviously giving up yardage doesn't matter, giving up points is what's really important. Um, and then how would you say both again, both in terms of personnel, but philosophically, how is this group different than the Zimmer group, especially that group that was among the league's best in that sort of like 2015, 2019 stretch?
1: Well, I'll go with the uh, the second half of that question first. And I think that has a lot to uh, to do with it. Uh, this year, they brought in Ed Donatel to be the, uh, the defensive coordinator. And Ed Donatel's forte has always been the three, four. So they kind of switched personnel. They're running more of a 3-4 defense this year. So rather than, you know, the dominant defensive ends like, you know, Everson Griffin, Daniel Hunter and whatnot, uh, you're looking at guys who are playing outside linebacker, uh, trying to bring more pressure and whatnot. Uh, More of a true nose tackle and Harrison Phillips, who's been a a great get for us in the middle. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of that you know, the first couple of games, they were kind of transitioning. I mean, the Packers put up quite a few yards. Philly obviously put up quite a few yards. Uh, they, they've been getting better as they've spent more time in the three, four uh, to this point. So uh, I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, with just the transition to the scheme uh, that they're in now and uh, getting used to making those adjustments and whatnot. So like you said, the teams have been picking up a lot of yards, but they haven't been getting a lot of points. I mean, yeah, the Vikings are getting some turnovers at key times. I believe they're second in the NFL in uh plus minus at this point only behind Philadelphia. So uh, t- teams get down there and uh, you know, Josh Allen threw uh, two interceptions in the red zone last week. So when they when they have the, uh, the need to kind of stiffen up and, you know, stop uh, teams from getting points, they've had the ability to do that. But, yeah, teams have had a little bit of easy time kind of going between the 20s uh, and whatnot. So. I think that has a lot to do with it. Like you said, they're a lot of the times they're bending, they're not breaking. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's I, I think a lot of it has to do with that shift in philosophy from the uh, the four three to the three four, and just the uh, adjustments that have come along with that. And they're to this point, they're they're getting better at it. They're not a hundred percent to where they need to be, but it's a whole lot better than it was the first couple weeks of the season.
3: Got you, got you. I, I would assume that. I mean, I, I know as some as a fan of a team that transitioned from the four three, which they'd been running since their inception, to a three four under Parcells, that uh, which actually was the thing that led to the to the ousting of Mike Zimmer because he was a four three aficionado. Um, mm-hmm. that that it takes a couple drafts to really to really draft the personnel for that as well. So that's it's not something that happens, you know, day one. Um. How do you how, how do you expect this team to try to attack or 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 slow down Dak Prescott and the Cowboys' offense?
1: Uh, I I think they're uh, they're going to have to be smart with uh, when they blitz. Obviously, Prescott has the mobility to keep plays uh, going, and he's that's that's the kind of quarterback that has uh, traditionally given the Vikings trouble. I mean, we saw with Kyler Murray, Murray earlier this season, uh, getting outside of the pocket, extending plays, uh, finding guys downfield. Uh, if they can keep Uh, Prescott a little more contained, like I said, be smart and uh, maintain their rushing lanes and kind of uh, kind of keep him contained as best they can. Um, It's going to be interesting to see some of the wide receiver matchups. I mean, the last couple of years uh, when we have played you uh, both times at the U.S. Bank Stadium, uh, Amari Cooper has just killed us. Uh, Amari Cooper is not in Dallas anymore, fortunately for us. Uh, Unfortunately for you folks, obviously. But, uh, yeah, uh, you have to keep an eye on C.D. Lamb. Obviously, and see, uh, he's going to be the big, uh, the big threat for us to, uh, to keep an eye on. I think, and yeah, I, I think it's going to have a lot to do with how we uh, kind of how we kind of contain Dak Prescott and make sure that he uh, he has to kind of stay uh, on schedule and you know go through his reads and whatnot and not get outside the pocket and uh, try to make things happen from there.
3: I know Dan has a, a sort of final question for you, but before we get there, I want to kind of provide a little bit of context for, for your answer. Um, so my question for you is, I mean, obviously the Vikings are off to a terrific start. Um, is this the best Vikings team since 98?
1: That's, that's a really good question. I mean, I don't know if they're as talented as like the 2009 team or the 2017 team, but you know, the, just the combination of, you know, the, uh, the new philosophy, the new outlook, and the the talent that they do currently have, um, I'm not going to go as far to say that they're the best team since '98, but they're they're definitely right up there with like the uh, the 2009, the 2017 team. I don't think they have as much raw talent as either one of those teams had, but uh like I said, kind of a combination of the philosophy and the coaching and the uh, and, and everything that's kind of gone into this right now. I think they're uh, they're definitely right up there.
4: Honestly, I don't, I don't really know what to expect. I think there's a large range of outcomes because I think, um, you know, both teams can make plays on both sides of the ball. And I mean, it looks like it's going to be high scoring, but if the Cowboys offense are struggling a little bit or if the Cowboys defense could start to, you know, play better, then maybe it's not so much. So to me, I'm, I'm really like, I, I don't know. So my last question for you, Christopher, is I, I mean, who's going to win this game can you give us a your final score prediction and um you know what what do you think is the difference maker in this one
1: i mean i don't think the uh, the i don't think either one of these teams should expect a a blowout victory or anything like that i think it's going to be a pretty close game uh, all the way through here um i'd like to think that being at home gives the vikings just a little bit of an advantage i mean this is a it's not a one p.m. set or one p.m. Eastern Time game, so people are going to say that Kirk Cousins is going to be bad because that's just you know the the kind of mm-hmm. thing that uh, that they kind of project on him and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a relatively close game, and I think, uh, like I said, being at home, uh, the Vikings having uh, the guys that uh, have been doing this all season, uh, going through these close games and uh, you know fighting all the way through the end, uh, I, I think it's going to be a close victory for the Vikings. I'd probably go with something along the lines of about uh, 24 to 20 score-wise, and uh, yeah, I, I think that sounds about right to me as, as far as everything I can see to this point.
3: So, in your 24-20, is that something where Cousins gets the ball down 2017 and and and, and uh, they you know leads leads a, a game-winning drive, or do you think it's one of those things where it's a little bit you know a little bit of a sort of a two-score game and the Cowboys score late to make it closer?
1: I I would like to think it's going to be uh the Vikings have a little bit of a cushion and the, uh, the yeah. Cowboys make a bit of a comeback, but you know, that that's just not the way this team has done things this year. I mean, we've seen, uh you know, the, the seven game winning streak they're on, all the victories have been by one score and uh, they've had to come from behind in the fourth quarter, like four or five times. I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, I, I would like to think they would have a little bit of cushion there toward the end, but it's probably going to be more like the, uh, the first thing you said where they're down late and they, kind of go downfield at the end of the game and put the ball in the end zone for a, uh, for a victory
4: crabs. Do you have a, where's your mind at on this one?
3: You know, it's
1: interesting. I I
3: think styles make fights and I think this is the kind of fighter that the Cowboys uh, are going to have a lot of trouble against. I think that, you know, um, I also don't think it's going to be a blowout. Um, I think both teams, are. I think it's actually two very evenly matched teams are fairly balanced teams. Um, I, I just, the, the fact that the cowboys are in the midst of this significant problem stopping the run makes me feel like the vikings offense is going to be able to do pretty much whatever it wants to do dalvin cook can run wild and they're going to overcompensate trying to stop him and and then you know the, the vikings have a really potent passing game with you know with uh, the addition of tj hawkinson in, in particular one of the things you said though christopher really st- stood out to me which is that um you know the, the vikings have been really good at at kind of um, giving up yards but then tightening in the red zone that actually has been the cowboys defense's narrative for much of the season as well um and that's really the thing that d- is the difference in the last couple last couple of weeks is that the bears and and the packers um were able to continue to drive either score for score on longer plays uh, i.e packers or uh just continue to to drive through the red zone into the end zone part of me wonders if this isn't going to be actually a much uh, lower scoring game than both teams, his recent history would suggest. And if we actually may have something where both teams are, you know, trading field goals, having a little bit of trouble getting into the end zone and both defenses are playing well, making plays in the end zone. You know, the Vikings I think are second in the league in, in turnovers generated and the Cowboys I think are fourth. So it's also mm-hmm. one of those things where they could, they could trade a couple of turnovers either, either way. Um, so I'm going to say, i'll say 16 13 vikings let's say uh, more field goals more field goals 16 13 <laughs> vikings <laughs> i i
4: think i don't think you guys are giving this these offenses enough credit i mean i i just so and uh, Rav has actually uh, been more negative towards the cowboys in his score prediction so i was really curious to see what he's going to say but i tell you I, I feel like i'm in a dark place uh right now because <laughs> while i while the like i said the range of outcomes could be it's quite large and I could see things Mm -hmm. going in a lot of different directions. To me, I kind of feel like the Cowboys are a little bit in a rut and I don't think they're just going to like be able to just get things together and Sunday come around and say, Hey, look, we told you we were this team. Um, So I'm a little concerned. I'm worried about this game. Um, I'm hoping for the best, but I'm actually, I kind of feel like this one's going to get away from us this week. So I got I got the Vikings winning the big in this one. I I got I got thirty four seventeen and mm-hmm. seventeen may be the Cowboys may score the last touchdown of the game too. So that's it may not even be that close. I, so that's that's my prediction. I'm not proud of it, but I'm just uh, I don't know the Vikings. It, it, like we talked about already, Rabs is not only can Minnesota run the ball, but they got a pretty good wide receiver too and that's going to create a problem and the Cowboys can't stop teams from running against no wide receiving weapons. What are they going to do with Justin Jefferson's out there? And So um, yeah, I, I'm a little bit, um, I guess skeptical, maybe I'm a little, a little worried for this week. So yeah, I don't have it as, as close as, as you guys got, but I do got some more scoring happening.
3: I, I think there's a, c- a couple points to be made here. One is, I do wonder if the Vikings are going to just be, I mean, I know that it's hard to, it's hard not to get up for the Cowboys because they're the Cowboys, but I also, and we, you know, we tend to get teams best games every week, but I also wonder if the, if the Vikings, I mean, that was a big time, super emotional, super big, like, you know, uh, defining road win last week. And it's hard to to get geeked up again after one of those. I mean, I think, I think the team, you know, what I've heard, what I've heard from the Minnesota riders who were on the team flight back is. There was joyousness, but just like that team was exhausted. You know, it was one of those <laughs> things where they gave it everything. So I think that that that's the one thing that I'm kind of hoping on is that the, the, the Vikings might not have two great games in a row in them because that's really, really hard to do. Um, but the other is, if you're right, Dan, then I think we're looking at 2019 where the Cowboys started well and just had a, a series of games against teams that were br- roughly equal to them and lost almost every one of them and um it could be i mean i, I honestly if they lose to the vikings it wouldn't surprise me a bit if they lost to the giants the following week on thanksgiving
4: well it's still it's still there's still time to figure things out and
1: absolutely, um, absolutely. and i'd rather it
4: happen now than than mm-hmm. later but i just think that they got some things they got to figure out and and i do think it's going to be hard to stop minnesota's offense with you know when they're able to to have a good balance with both Passing and rushing. I, I think it's going to give him problems. The Cowboys are going to try to overcompensate at times, and then they're going to get beat in the secondary, and it's it's going to be a problem. So, I don't know.
3: Actually, Christopher, can I ask you one more question? What, what's your prediction sure. on whether Darius De- is going to play?
1: Um, he was upgraded to a limited participant in practice today. He didn't practice on Wednesday because he's going through a concussion protocol. Right. I, man, I really hope that guy plays because if he doesn't, Micah Parsons absolutely scares the hell out of me as far as this. Uh, as far as trying to contain him, I know they I know mm-hmm. the Cowboys are going to move him all over the place. But uh, you know, saw has played at such a high level this year. I mean, he's he's a potential first team All Pro, and you know, the, seeing him be upgraded to a to limited participation today is obviously huge because uh, it means you know he can keep making progress and whatnot. And so I, I think he's going to be out there. I, I'm hoping that uh, we see him upgraded to a full participant on uh, Friday when the final injury reports come out. But, yeah, I got
3: a feeling he's going to be out there. The reason I asked that, and Dan, you, you can echo this, or you know, we can talk about this a little bit too, is the teams that the, the Cowboys defense seems to have been having trouble with are balanced teams that have two strong offensive tackles, and that's exactly how we're describing the Vikings. If Darisaw plays, remember the, tr- the trouble they had against Detroit and the, and the trouble they had against Green Bay? They had trouble against both those teams because those teams have similar offensive line. They have st- strong experience tackles. They're a little bit weaker on the inside, but it doesn't matter because that's where the Cowboys are are, are are less potent. And um if those guys can can you know contain our defensive ends, man, it it's a frustrating afternoon. So I, I'm I'm starting to lean more toward your prediction, Dan, and I'm not liking it at all. So we should probably white uh wrap this up. Chris, Christopher, <laughs> before you before you head out, first of all, thanks so much for joining us and, and sharing your knowledge with us. Uh, before you head out, please tell the people where they can find your fine, fine work.
1: Uh, you can uh, find us at uh, the Daily Norseman, www.dailynorseman.com, and yeah, we've uh, we've got a lot of folks that we're uh, we're bringing in to uh to add to our uh, site and whatnot. And yeah, we've been we've been doing it for a long time. I know the folks at the blogging boys have been doing it for even longer than we have. So yeah, that's uh that's where you can uh, locate all of our stuff.
3: All right, it's game day, it's game week. People go go to the Daily Norseman and check them out. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. And Sean.
1: Thank you, for, uh, thank you for having me, and I was uh, very, very happy to be here and share this time with you folks.
4: Thanks, Christopher, and good luck on Sunday.
1: Thank you. You guys too.
3: Wow, that was actually a really great conversation with Chris. I really enjoyed learning more about the Vikings and what's going on with them. You know, I mean, I, I, they're really quite a bit different team this year than they have been in the recent past. Yeah, you know, I know
4: when people when when the Eagles beat them, you know In the beginning of the year people were like "Well, Vikings are nothing and of course here. We are many games later They haven't lost since and they've clearly uh, proven that that is not the case. So Tell you what? I'm a little worried Ravs. This is this is gonna be a You know, I don't know. I don't want to say like a defining moment but this is this is a huge Sunday, so I don't know where your mind's at rap, but uh, um, listen,
3: listen. So we talked before we brought Christopher in. We talked about all the things that have us worried, right? And so I think one of the other patterns that's beginning to emerge that, or that a lot of people have talked about that we didn't talk about is the fact that yet again, the Cowboys showed that they struggle against a team who is a contender in the NFC, right? We saw this all last year against the Cardinals against I mean again and again and again, and obviously against the 49ers in the playoffs. Um, and we're seeing it this year. though. Look at the, the losses have come against the Buccaneers, the Eagles, and um, and the, and the Packers. I know the Packers don't look like a playoff team, but they're they they have that they have that pedigree, and they may well be one by the end of the year when everything you know all, everything uh, sort of works itself out. They're going to have to get off the schneid. They're going to have to exercise some demons because. Um, this is another pattern, right? This is a pattern that is a is I think a pretty clear pattern. They they do well against teams that are not that good. They're good at beating up against injured or deficient offensive lines. They're good at taking advantage against the the the, the league's kind of also rans What are they going to do against a, a championship level team? When's when's the last time they went in and, and on the road and, and beat a team of this caliber? It's been a while. So I think this is going to be, um, you know, the, the when's the last time they had a signature win like this? It's been quite a while. And so this is going to, I mean, this is either going to further establish the the reality of this pattern, that that, that that's the defining narrative of the Mike McCarthy Cowboys is that they're good against the bad teams and they, but they just can't beat good teams. Not to mention really good teams or that was something that this team overcame and they and they established themselves as a contender in the NFC by going on the road and beating one of the NFC's best teams. That that, that it's that simple.
4: Yeah, I tell you what, and if they're able to do just that, it's going to change the whole dynamic of our feelings, you know. We're going to 100%. And I I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's for sure, you know. To me, biggest game of the year, and uh I'm super excited for it. Uh, can't wait. But that is all we have for our show today if you haven't yet please do subscribe to the Blogging voice podcast network leave us a rating write a review wherever your podcast apple spotify itunes stitcher tell us what you think anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience and if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all any cowboy hot topics any matchups you're looking for or you know what you just want to share your feelings Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at DaddyFan24, and Rab is at Rebel spelled R A B B L E R O U S R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we've got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart, so make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true, silver and blue, and we will catch you
3: later. Blast is missed.
0: Learn more today at sas.com slash B-I-Y-A.